Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake, I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Today's guest is Cody Lowry. He's the president of the automotive and retail division of the Intermark Group. He's also the author of Schmooze. But before we get a chance to speak with Cody, it's a leadership hack in the news. In today's news, we explore the concept behind hybrid working, or as it's often referred to, flexible working. Since the onset of the pandemic, a myriad of corporations have overhauled the way they operate. Now, with the possibility of a return to office and the horizon, nearly two-thirds of workers are wanting to remain working from home, according to a recent survey by Gallup. Their research has found that organisations need to develop a long-term hybrid work strategy that meets the needs of both employees and businesses. In determining these approaches, leaders should keep one concept at or near the top of their priority list, and that's flexibility. So remote working is no longer an added benefit, but a requirement for happy and productive people. So here's some tips and ideas to help you think about your hybrid strategy. First things first, people come first. It's important that organisations don't make assumptions about the way they think their employers currently work and want to in the future. You need to know exactly how your people want to work so that you can plan and put in the necessary steps in place. By gaining better insights and asking the right questions of your team, you can then adapt and think about getting the best out of them so that you benefit as an organisation. Create a number of different spaces. And when I mean spaces, not physical spaces, but workspaces. Of course, some permanent desk spaces will still be needed, but your organisation might want to start thinking about hot desks, video conferences, call pods, or remote collaboration spaces that will help you get the best out of people working differently at different times and from different locations. Create a truly inclusive workplace. There are obviously huge benefits of embracing the world of hybrid working, but it's also important to avoid that any inclusivity issues may arise when you kind of move to this model. There are concerns by some that it actually might lead to a creation of a two-tier workforce, those who are constantly present in the office and those who decide to work more remotely. And as leaders, we need to make sure that people understand that whether they're in the office or not, their work is equally valued. We also need to be thoughtful around how and when meetings are held so that everybody feels included. Health, safety and well-being are at the absolute heart of this activity. It doesn't matter whether your people are working from home or in an office. As a leader, you have a duty of care over your team. For those in an office, it's important to ensure that all the necessary steps are taken to create a COVID-safe environment, while those working from home need to be informed of the ways in which to protect their physical and mental health. And remember, mental health is just as important as physical health, especially at the moment. And there's lots that we can do to make sure that we keep our physical and mental health employees at the front of our conversations. So in summary, let's think about what needs to happen. We need to be thoughtful about the people, their environments, 
the choices that they make. Tapping into technology that helps us do that the best, whether we're in, in an office or whether we're working remotely. What's most important is without your people being motivated, focused and engaged, it doesn't really matter where they are. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. If you have any insights, information, please get in touch with us. Cody Lowry is a special guest on today's show. He's an entrepreneur. He's the president of the automotive and retail division at the Intermark Group. He's also a speaker and author of the book Schmooze. Join me in welcoming Mr. Schmooze himself. Cody, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Steve. I am delighted to be with you today. And uh, your folks out there don't know how popular you are. But Steve <laughs> and I actually had a conversation nine years ago. And I finally got an opportunity to be on his show. So I'm tickled to death to be here. Uh, Schmooze and accent already. And we, we've only just got started. Huh? There you go. There you go. So, Cody, you, you have an amazing backstory. And I'd be really interested for the listeners to get a sense of kind of where you came from and how you've arrived to do what you do. Yeah, Steve, I've really got a different story. We always hear about the uh, rags to riches. Well, I'm actually a, uh, a riches to rags kid. Um, I was, I was uh, born into a family of wealth and blue blood. And by the time I was five, it was all gone. We lived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and with a seven-year period, a seven-mile radius, uh, we moved 32 times. Um, so it was, uh, you know, the lights were turned off. Uh, St. Vincent de Paul was my favorite saint because he used to be there Christmas Day. But, you know, just backtracking a little bit, there's a high school in Detroit named after my grandfather. There's a was a book written. He was the first president of Wayne State University. My mother was Actually, I call her the debutante mom because she she made her debutante and went to a finishing school in Washington and, you know, had all the trappings of, you know, just a, a great life and, and a good life uh, to come. She met my father uh, at a they were both camp counselors, swimming uh, coaches at, at Camp Chicopee in northern Michigan. And he came from a pretty well to do family. But uh, for whatever reason, they got married, had four beautiful children, and I was one of them, uh, <laughs> and uh, they came to Florida and uh, r ran through whatever money they had. My dad became an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. They, uh, It was kind of a helter-skelter childhood with screaming and hollering and, you know, no food, the lights being changed, and then moving uh, 32 times. We actually lived in uh, two places twice. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember coming home with my little brother and uh, from, from school, and uh, we didn't live there anymore. So, um, yeah, I, um, I had kind of a different childhood. At age 11, um, I started selling papers, and uh, you're, from, uh, you're from across the pond there, so you know who the artful Dodger is. And sure do. Yeah, at times I, uh, I felt like the, uh, the artful Dodger. You know, my mom... And and my other siblings have been very successful, and I and I credit my mom. I can remember her after a you know a few martinis, looking across and say, you know, we may not have anything now, but you guys, you kids have blue blood in your veins, and you can do whatever you want, and blah blah blah. So she instilled a confidence in in us that I don't think we otherwise would have had. And and one of them um, was, you know, you got to get out there and make it happen. And and so at age eleven. 
I started selling papers for the Miami News. Now, I've got to ask you a question, Steve. Go for it. And I want you to be real honest with me here. Would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, and how many birthdays you've had? Pretty neat, yeah. Well, of of course you would. For a nickel? Mm -hmm. Um, You got your shoes on your feet. You were born in the state of infancy, and you've only had one birthday the day you were born. Nice. So when you when you look at, uh, you know, where I came from and the and then I, w- I wasn't raised. Uh, I was raised with the doctor's kids and the lawyer's kids because my mother made us believe that, you know, we were as good as anyone. And so with that said, we, we always worked. And and um, I, I think selling papers actually gave me a pretty good uh, foundation for. Uh, my life in general. It's really interesting that 32 moves in such a short period of time is just a huge amount of disruption, isn't it, for a a young person, (laughs) a young family? Christmas Day, we moved. And then my mom is screaming at my father about, um, you know, what about the Christmas tree? What about the Christmas tree? And the next thing you know, Steve, he runs in the house, grabs the the Christmas tree lights, tinsel, what, and, and throws it on the back of a pickup truck. And, and with some expletives uh, said, get in the truck and we're leaving. And it was, it was quite, he did leave by the way. And my mother raised uh, the, the four of us. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you uh, how much she, she really means to me. And, and I think uh, my siblings would, would parrot that sure. comment. I did some research a few years back, actually, around resilience and what are the foundations and what could cause resilience and ingenuity. And irony is those people who are brought up in a service background who move a lot consistently in their childhood have greater and deeper resilience. Really? Because they're used to having to adapt. And I wonder if some of those foundations that you've got in your adult career and being successful around that resilience and that grit and determination come from that learning to adapt in those 32 moves well i i would guess it did you know and and i you know not not everybody is obviously wired the same and and i can tell you that um i mean i love people i um i i i engage people um, at restaurants or the, the waiter, by the time that food is delivered, I know everything about that person and I, you know, where they're from, what their dad did. And, and I just find that terribly interesting. You know, there's so many, so many people in this, this world that, uh, we're never going to have an opportunity to meet. And, and, I, and I, I, I kind of regret that. And so, you know, I think, uh, when you're, when you're young and you're going through all those kinds of things, you learn how to make friends easily or, you know, I say easily, you learn how to make friends. And with that, you know, you ask a lot of questions. And I always ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions today. Now, you're affectionately known as the king of schmooze. Well, so for people who have not heard of schmooze or are not familiar with it, how would you describe what schmooze is? Well, uh, schmooze actually comes from the uh, Yiddish word, which means to chat idly or to chat in a friendly, persuasive manner, especially uh, to gain favor in business or connections. And what, what I have done, Steve, is I've redefined the word schmooze. And for me, uh, schmooze is a lot of things. They actually, the publisher put up 25, you know, different, uh, attributes for, for schmooze. And it's a, it's about building relationships. It's a, it's, it's about a winning smile. It's about, you know, looking out after, uh, the little guy. It's about being a contrarian. It's about, uh, 
you know, uh, having, uh, having, uh, having a heart and, and, uh, you know, it's about appreciating and just, uh, you know, there's 25 of them. I could list them, but it would, uh, you know, take a while here. Sure. Now you recognized at an early age that that we would call it in the side of the pond gift of the gab or the schmooze was the key foundation for you to be successful. What was it when you realized you were onto something around using this as a positive to help you become successful? So I guess I, I learned, you know, that school was difficult for me because, um, you know, moving around like that and uh, I, I didn't, uh, you know, live up to to my own expectations. And and so when I when I finally realized that, you know what, I got something here, I actually transferred from one high school to another high school and it was a transfer in my senior year. And I wasn't there, you know, probably six weeks and they were going to, they were doing the superlatives and, you know, for the seniors and uh, somehow I made it to my senior year. I don't know how. Um, and they nominated me for the, the most talented. And I went most, how would, how did I get nominated? You know, I'm, I'm not even uh, in the school two months and people are nominating me. Well, you know, that turned out to be a pretty pivotal year for me right steve because i was you know i i i was master of ceremonies of this master of some ceremonies of that i got i got really heavy into uh you know theater and speech productions and i think that's when i really uh found myself and it uh you know it obviously helped me once i got into college now you've managed to use schmooze in a number of different situations and there are a couple that you call out in the books i'd love to explore them with you absolutely one was how do you set up the meeting with the president in just one week from nowhere yeah it was um that that was really something at the time i was um general sales manager for a large chevrolet store and jimmy carter was coming into town um and he was he was uh running in for president and um, we were having a management meeting with the dealer and the general manager and what have you. And I just started thinking about uh, him coming into town. I thought, well, my gosh, wouldn't that be a great PR move if we could somehow set up a meeting with the uh, president of the United States? Now, I got to tell you, I had an angle and my angle was is that our dealer, Anthony Abraham, was uh, he was a very conservative guy, but he really thought that. Um, Jimmy Carter was taking a lot of heat at the time and and uh they he ran an article in the Fort Lauderdale News the uh, I'm sorry the Miami Herald the um the Tampa Tribune and the St. Petersburg Times and it was called a summer of discontent by Walter Annenberg another uh, very conservative guy and the thrust of the of the article Steve was that you know no matter how much you dislike the president or how much, whatever issues you have, he's the only president we have and we've got to support him. And coming from two very conservative guys, you know, that was, uh, that was, you know, quite a tribute to put those full page ads in those newspapers. So I, I did have an angle and I said, the president's coming in next week. Why don't we set up a meeting and, and see if we can't get a little PR out of it. And the, the dealer laughed and the general manager who was, always watching his back, thought I wanted his job, you know, he kind of ridiculed me somewhat, but um, he said, well, go see what you can do. And, uh, 
and I did. The first person's off, first uh, office I called was Jody Powell. You may remember Jody Powell, but he was he was the the president's right hand guy, and he threw me to one guy, and then they threw me to another office and this office, and finally I got a hold of uh, the scheduling office, and the uh, you know my persistence was you know on on full charge, and and I was really wanted to make this thing happen, and the guy um, let me know really quickly. He said, Mr. Lowry, do you realize how many people want to make, have uh, set up a meeting with the president of the United States? And I immediately shot back, Steve. I said, well, that's probably true, but you could count on one hand how many, how many men just spent $20,000 in three of Florida's largest newspapers in a state that's going to be critical to the president in the upcoming election. Wow, yeah. And then he started, who, but a habit, a habit, you know, who am I talking to here? You know? And next thing you know, I, get a uh, meeting with a, a quiche Legrand and let her know what's going on. And, and uh, we have a meeting with the president of the United States and that, by the way, you can Google that. And uh, Cody Lowry, uh, president Carter or Tommy Abraham. And, and it shows, you know, the president's schedule uh, back then and, and today they've got every little minute, you know, mm. logged in what he did, who he talked to. And, and so, yeah, so we set up a meeting with the president of the United States and, uh, that did not, uh, that, that did not hinder my progress with, uh, Abraham Chevrolet. I did very well after that. Awesome. And also there's a couple of whacking great leadership lessons there, isn't there? So that whole kind of persistence and resilience and never letting up is a really big one for me. But you know, the other is that, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're really passionate about something and you want people to, to know that you're passionate, if you stop squeaking, you're not going to get the oil. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So the other I was really fascinated by is you ended up carrying the Olympic torch for the Olympic Games. And that, again, was because of your schmooze. Tell us how that came about. Well, you know, in the book, um, I, I talk uh, about mentoring and the importance of mentoring. And I can I can remember when I was in college driving a uh, a Corvair unsafe at any speed um, that used more oil than gasoline and I was you know robbing Peter to pay Paul as they say and um, you know I was a big brother I I um, uh, and that's not in the book but uh, for those out in, in in other parts of the world that big brother and big sisters where are you you take on a uh, an individual a young child who's who comes from a uh, you know a, a really difficult situation and you know you mentor to them and so the the carrying the torch was uh was was just that i um i was as you as you pointed out um in the beginning of the show i'm in advertising and at the time we represented all the chevrolet dealers in the tampa bay area and um, one of the uh, the gentlemen that was in charge of Chevrolet at the time was Kurt Ritter, and just a wonderful guy. He lives in uh, Bel Air, California now, and uh, he is, I think, chairman of Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. But at the time, he was moving up the ladder with uh, Chevrolet, and uh, he had he had moved out of the Tampa Bay area, went to Detroit. He was head marketing manager for Chevrolet Motor Division, and I get a call um, one day and. Uh, and while we were close, we weren't, you know, 
I mean, we, we, we talked, you know, maybe every six months or if we saw people that uh, saw each other at a meeting, but he, his son was living in, um, in Tampa and, and struggling at the time. He graduated, just graduated from college and was having a real difficult time, uh, getting a job. And, and Kurt called me and asked if I could spend some, some time with him. And, uh, I said, absolutely. So we did kind of like a, you know, Tuesdays with Maury's, right. And it was, it was, uh, Tuesdays with, with Kurt's son. And, um, he was, you know, flipping hamburgers at a, at a, uh, Fridays. That's a, that's a hamburger joint. And, and he was just, he just couldn't, uh, get his, uh, his footing in the market that he wanted, the segment that he wanted to get into. And that was uh film and what have you. And, um, so I remember after about six weeks, he he called me up. He says, can I come in and talk to you? And I said, sure. He was excited. And I, I kind of thought maybe he had a job. And he said, he says, I got a job. And I said, really, where is that? And he goes, he says, well, it's with uh, Campbell Ewald. And all of a sudden, a red light went off. Campbell Ewald was a national agency for Chevrolet. And um, I know how he got that job. And that's not the job he wanted. And after he was done telling me about, you know, being a junior account executive, and I, and I just looked across the the uh, table um, from where we were, and I said, you know what, you don't want to take that. I said, that's not what you want to do. Your dad can pick up the phone today, tomorrow, a year from now, and get you that same position. I said, you're passionate about the film industry. You're passionate about, you know, what you went to school for. I said, stick with it. And don't you know, he took my advice, and a week later, um, he got his dream job out of Miami. Well, now I start becoming very close to the family. I'm invited to weddings, and, you know, they come when, he, when he's in Florida, you know, we go to the, the football games together. And I, um, I think the mentoring is, is what really makes it happen in life and being able to give something back and then the next thing I know, uh, out of the clear blue, he calls me up and said, Cody, he said, how would you like to carry the torch in the Olympics? He had reached that level at Chevrolet Motor Division where he could pick a, a couple of people. And I must tell you, he he had relationships with agencies that were huge, right? They dwarf mine. Right. He knew every auto Chevrolet dealer in the all the big Chevrolet dealers in the country. And he didn't ask. He called me and asked me. And and I credit it with uh with the mentoring yeah it's fascinating isn't it and it just goes to show that if you're not open to opportunity because you've been directed or you've been following a path that you don't believe to be true or purposeful you miss out on that natural occurring opportunity right absolutely yeah so when was it you thought right there's definitely something in this schmooze so i'm going to write a book about it how did that come about so you know i um i really didn't come uh, i knew i wanted to write a book because some you know, obviously crazy things have, have happened to me, if you'll indulge me here, you know, getting a baseball signed by the Pope, getting a Super Bowl ring from an NFL Hall of Fame coach, auditioning for Saturday Night Live within a 48-hour notice. And, you know, I, I just felt like I was wired a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, I had uh, I was lead, going, uh, living this journey, this eclectic journey that I'm still uh, living. And, and uh, some really wonderful things have, have happened to me as a result of, you know, reaching out and, and, and 
being there for 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 other people and and my personality i don't know if uh, your pre notes show it but i was i was actually born with a lampshade on my head so the um you know the humorous acts uh, aspect of my personality didn't hurt and um i just decided that i was going to write a write a book and that was 2017 and you know i'm i'm still working full time and so i you know i did it at night and um, put together um, what I thought was was a really good life story, not a biography for sure, um, but um, you know, life lessons from somebody who's walked the walk. Yeah, you know, so many times I, I I'm I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm I see a speaker and great great at, in, with, in front of an audience, or I'll read a book and and so much of it, and I say this respectfully. Um, is regurgitated internet stuff. And then I hear the same thing this guy said, and this, uh, this person says this. And, you know, every story in the book that I have, I mean, it's, it's, it's me. It's real life. It's, uh, you know, it's really, you know, it's from somebody who's walked the walk. Did you walk the walk or did you schmooze the schmooze? I think I probably <laughs> did a little bit of both, you know. I was, I, I was schmoozing when I didn't know what the word meant. Exactly, yeah. So in the book, you call these out as schmooze essentials. So what are they and how as a leader might I use them? So, yeah, the, the last chapter is, is schmooze essentials. And um, it's... Uh, it's a collection of of things that I wanted to leave people with that um, are just real important. And, um, you know, paying a compliment. Uh, it's There's actually 10, so I, I won't go over all 10, but paying a compliment. You know, you go into a restaurant and somebody gives you great service and you throw down your 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 money and i know in some countries you don't you don't that's not required or not 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 the custom but in the united states we you know we leave a, a gratuity and one thing that is that i have learned over the years that's much more important uh than a uh gratuity is to pay a compliment you know john that was maybe the best service i've ever had and i mean they light up like a christmas tree i mean it's yeah. it's a, it's amazing so you know, pay, paying a compliment. Um, it's about laughing at yourself. And, you know, some of us take ourselves way too seriously. And I've been with some movers and shakers who are, you know, they, they, they wouldn't put a smile on their face if they, they had to. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's about um, actually um, not taking yourself too seriously. I'll tell you a real quick story, if, if I may. Um, i I'm, I'm charging you know, and I come home, I've got three little kids and I say little kids, they're uh, 10, nine and eight. And my wife and I had just bought this brand new suede couch, green suede couch. And, you know, I really felt like I had arrived, Steve, you know, to have this couch. And I, and, and so I walk in and I look at the couch and there's a big stain on the couch. And I almost can't believe it. What happened? Well, immediately, I called the three uh, children. Cody, Chelsea, Kip, get up here right now. And up they come, you know. And I look at that couch, the stain. And I said, I want to know who did it. I want to know now. And I want to know the truth. And young Cody looks up at me. He said, Dad, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> from, from the movie, you know. And I just... You know, he he disarmed me. 
And I started laughing. How stupid. Why, why am I getting so upset about a stain? And uh, so, you know, it, it is it is about laughing at yourself. It's a, it's about making sure that you understand that, you know, not just Coca-Cola, not just Nike, not just you have a brand. Who are you? What flags do you wave? If a hundred people had to say something about you, what would they say? And I think for for young people starting out in business, I think it's so important that you establish who you are and build your brand. And so, you know, that's in there. It's it's about appreciating what we have. You know, um, I, I I told my kids when they were growing up when they would, you know bemoan the fact that maybe they didn't have the latest and the greatest this or that because I didn't believe in giving it to them. You know, you have it better than 99.9% of all the people that have ever lived on the face of this earth. And, um, you know, I, I think that actually uh, uh, connected with them. And, you know, so, yeah, in the, in the, uh, in the book, I've, I've got uh, all, all kinds of things uh, uh, in the last chapter, there are 10 different things. I resonate with that. I had a very similar conversation with my youngest son just this weekend, actually. What happened? Well, um, it was a case of just not recognizing the value of what he had versus the value of what he didn't have. I gotcha. And sometimes it's just about helping people who have been, and I, and I class myself to be very fortunate and having the spoils of uh, a successful career behind me. And he's been born into a life that I wasn't born into with lots of spoils and lots of other uh, things that I would have never had at his age. And just sometimes helping to reframe how fortunate they are isn't all about either material things. It's about the surroundings and the environment they're into, right? So true. So true. You know, one of the things in that, uh, the last chapter is um, I tell people to be a pushover. You know, I, um, I'm an easy mark for these people on the street and, and, um, I, um, I mean, I, I never say no, I feel guilty if I look down and, you know, I'm in my, my car and I don't have some, uh, some, um, some change or some whatever to, to give them. But, um, I've done my homework and, and most of these people are, um, they're hungry. 85% of these people are hungry. So yeah, there are some people that are trying to put you together. And in the book, I talk about being a pushover. And, and I actually talk about a, a story when uh, uh, our whole family went to uh, West Virginia and the, the, uh, the airport was closed down. And I went downtown with, uh, with my kids and, and uh, my bride and we were going to get some food. And it was a cold night and the, the kids were probably right around that you know, seven, eight, nine age. And all of a sudden somebody grabs me on my shoulder and I turn around and, you know, I, I see this guy with all his hair going on and, you know, kind of, you got some money or something like that. And I said, no, I don't. And, you know, I, um, kind of shoot him away. I thought, and then, you know, about a minute later, there he is again. And, <laughs> and now I get in his face cause I'm really upset. I'm very protective of my kids and I don't want this guy, you know, endangering my family. And I react like, I guess, any father would. So, uh, you know, I got in his face, told him to get out. I was going to call the police, so on and so forth. I got, to, I got to the restaurant, and my son, Cody, remembers this. And uh, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I didn't really treat that guy too well. And who knows what's going on in his life. And so I gave her my watch. I gave her all of about, you know, 50 bucks that I had. And I said, I'm going to go find him and, and find him and see what's going on. So 
I left the restaurant. I walked up in this alley and down the street, and there he was. He was sitting on a park bench with his significant other, and they had a blanket around them. And I came up to him from the side there, so he didn't really really uh, know I was coming. And I said, "Hey!" And he looked at me. Oh, now he he almost jumps, you know. And and I said, "No, no, no. I just I just want to tell you I apologize for the way I acted." And um, I said, "Are you guys hungry?" And they both looked at me and they said, yeah. I said, well, come on, let's go. And so um, I was actually thinking about taking them to the Mexican restaurant. And there was a McDonald's uh, uh, across the street, not not too far from where we were. And he, he said, well, how about McDonald's? And I said, sure. So we went into McDonald's and, you know, uh, the, his girlfriend was first and she looked back at me and I said, no, go, whatever you want, just get, get it. You know? So she got two big Macs. She got a apple pie. She got the big fry, whatever it was. And, and I thought she was ordering for both of them. And then, uh, he got up there. He said, I'll take the same. But, um, uh, so, you know, I, my kids learned a big lesson. As I said, Cody still remembers that day. And all of my, my kids have, have, uh, followed me, uh, as it relates to being, you know, maybe considered overly generous um, to these people. But, um, you know, when you when you look at uh, what's been bestowed on me and my family and, you know, everything, even talking to Steve here, <laughs> um, you know, it's, um, you know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. And, you know, I know that everybody doesn't. It's a great lesson as well, isn't it? Yes. So the one thing that struck me in the book as well that you call out was called the what if syndrome. Oh, the what if syndrome. Yeah. Everybody is always, you know, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? But, and it's about, you know, when I talk about stepping out of your, your schmooze zone, um, and uh, I, I tell people that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to jump off the, the uh, Skyway Bridge or the San Francisco Bay Bridge uh, or bungee jump. But, you know, in life, I have looked at, at things. I've looked at challenges and, you know, I've 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 always gone for it. And um, I think a lot of people are, are held back by, you know, their peers and and people that they um, you know, their, their bosses and, and what have you. And they have this, this, this fear of people. Well, I've, I've never really had that fear. So if I thought maybe I could do something, you know, I, I just went out and, and did it. I, in the book, I talk about, you know, running a marathon. Somebody bet me a hundred dollars that, you know, I couldn't run a marathon. And, and I, I said, well, yeah, I could run a marathon. And they laughed and, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm really in great shape today, Steve, but back then I was a little sloppy, right? And uh, I remember Steve Chapman, he was president of the DuPont registry and he, he was running the Marine Corps marathon. And I said, well, I could, I could probably do that. Maybe I'll do that with you. And he started laughing because that was the funniest thing I ever heard. And I got to tell you in high school, I think the, the, the most I ever did uh, from an exercise standpoint, I think I had to run a mile to, um, to actually get my, my diploma. So anyway, I took him up on it. And it's a, it's, it's a great story. It's a fun story, but I got to tell you when I started off the first, uh, the first week trying to, you know, kind of get into this thing, I thought, boy, I had really, I really made a big mistake. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't get a quarter of a mile before I was gasping for air. And I was walking, I was going around this Lake Hollingsworth, which was three and a half miles. And I went, dear God, I can't even get around this lake. 
And uh, but before um, all was done, I had run around that lake, run around that lake uh, eight times. And I and I did. I, I competed in the, the Marine Corps Marathon. And and so I, I would say my, my advice is just, you know, go with with with, with what's uh, with what your gut tells you and and don't listen to some some naysayers out there. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of great people who have accomplished a lot of things in this world by by taking that advice for sure definitely so so i'm going to ask you to step out of the schmooze zone now because i'm going to turn the lens a little into your world of leadership so you've been a successful leader of a number of different businesses so i want to really tap into that leadership mind of yours now and i'm first place i'm going to go cody is to ask you what your top three leadership hacks would be so um my you know a big part of of the book and a part of my my background in business and, you know, my, my whole life has been building relationships, building relationships that last, you know, Steve, in, in uh, my business, it's uh, if you have an account for two or three years, you, you know, you can be very, very thankful. We've got it. We have accounts on the book that have been there for 30 years plus 30 years. And I always tell people it's about the secret sauce. You say the three things, number one, build the relationship. And I think a lot of people get this wrong. They say, oh, it's going to take me a year to build a relationship. You build a relationship when, within the first 60 seconds that you meet somebody. Sure. And I'm, I'm well aware of that if I go into a meeting, I know more about that guy than, than I, I, probably the people that work for him. So it's, it's building the relationship. And then it's earning their trust. Okay, that's the foundation of 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 every uh, relationship. It's it's the foundation of, of every business relationship, earning their trust and being there for them. And then and then number three, endeavoring to um, never let them down. And, uh, you know, I've I've got clients. I'm their blankie. I mean, they call me on the weekends, you know, Sunday and, you know, and a lot of times it's not even related to. Um, you know, the business necessarily, it's, it's, uh, you know, something that's happening in their life. And if I've, if I'm been with them for 20 to 30 years, I'm also their friend. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So building the relationship, getting them to trust you and then, um, never letting them down. Awesome tips and ideas. Thank you. Appreciate you sharing that. The next part of the show we've called hack to attack. So this is typically where something's screwed up, hasn't worked out well at all. But as a result of the experience, you now use it as a positive in your life and work. So what would be your hack to attack, Cody? Yeah, my hack to attack. I mean, you know, one of the, the quotes that's in the book, and it's a Japanese proverb, and it says, fall down seven times, get up eight. And um, I can tell you, I've done that, you know, many, many times in my life. And, and no one is... Um, you know, everybody's got adversity in their life. And so when, when I get people that kind of get carried away with it, I, I remind them of this deal that, uh, you know, you have to get up and you, you have to keep charging. And early in business, um, I was, you know, I got taken by a, a guy that was, you know, I thought he was my mentor, right? And he was the big shot in the Tampa Bay area as far as advertising. I'm not going to mention his name, but he brought me on. He he wanted me to work for him and that didn't work. So he made me kind of a quasi partner, if you will. And um, we became partners. And after about six months, uh, I realized that uh, he had been uh, going to the accountant and taking money out of the, 
the the company to buy a home in St. Croix and this, that, and the other. Well, to to make kind of a long story short, when I finally realized that this guy needed to be out of my life, the uh, I had the accounting people came in and they said, "Well, Cody, he's uh, you're you're in the in the hole about a half a million dollars," and I. I, I, I almost couldn't believe it, right? Half a million dollars, me, little Cody Lowry, you know, paper boy, I'm in debt, a half a million. So the, the attorneys got together and they decided the best thing for me to do would be to just file bankruptcy, you know, in, in our country and file bankruptcy and you can actually start the next day in a, in another job. And, and they said, yeah, this is our only way out and or your only way out. And, um, I looked across the table at, uh, you know, three people that went to pretty good law schools. And I said, that's not what I'm going to do. And I said, I'm going to go to the suppliers. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell them exactly what happened. And uh, at the time we did a lot. Of, we're, we're, the reason it got so big is we were dealing with TV stations and, you know, TV time. And that's very expensive. But I went to maybe six TV stations where the bulk of uh, that debt was. And I met with the uh, general manager or president of the uh, the TV station and I told him exactly what happened and I said I can't pay you today but I will pay you over time I believe I'm going to be successful and you know what there wasn't one that said no and every one of them got their money so awesome. yeah it's a lovely story many people would have taken the easy route out and you know file for bankruptcy but that just shows the kind of character that sits behind the man so congratulations for you oh uh, well thank you thank you the last thing we want to do today Cody is give you a chance to do some time travel. So you now have the opportunity to go back in time, bump into Cody at 21 and give him some words of wisdom and some advice. What would it be? I would say, uh, and, and not to rehash what, what we've already talked about, but um, if you have a dream, if you have a goal, don't put it on hold. Find a way to, you know, go after that that dream or or that goal. And I, 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 I would say, you know, g- Get rid of the naysayers in, in your life, and 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 um, you know when I was when I was starting out at age twenty one, Steve. I mean, I got to tell you, I was I was a little naive, and I don't think being naive is really so bad because you you you, you go down avenues that maybe other people would. No, we can't do right. that. What what are you crazy? You know, and so um, I, uh, I I think uh, part of my advice would be, you know, it, it's okay to be naive, you know. just, just real quick, um, auditioning for Saturday night live within a 48 hour period. I went, I was doing stand up comedy and, um, I went to New York. I had, you know, uh, enough money to last maybe a week. And, you know, I did catch a rising star and, and, uh, uh, the improv and what have you. And I decided just, uh, you know, I've got two days left. I know what I'll do. I'll audition for Saturday night live. Oh, really? How are you going to pull that one off? Well, I was naive, you know, and it worked for me. And, you know, two days later, there I was auditioning for Saturday Night Live, <laughs> doing my Jimmy Carter. As a, my name is Jimmy Carter. I will tell the truth. If I would tell a lie, grow another two. So I guess that what I'm saying is it would be, it, it's okay to be naive. Yeah. And, um, you know. So that would be my advice. Awesome. So, Cody, I've loved schmoozing with you. But for our listeners who might want to continue the conversation beyond our show today, where's the best place for us to send them when we're done? Uh, MrSchmooze.com. That's MrSchmooze.com. My my book, uh, Schmooze, uh, What They Should Teach at Harvard Business School. It's it's obviously available on uh, 
Barnes and Noble and Amazon and, and what have you. It's also an audio book out there, which is, uh, I hear pretty good. And, um, so yeah, the, the website's good and wherever books are sold. Awesome. We'll make sure those are all in our show notes as well, so that people can literally stop listening to us and start listening to some more of you. So Cody, thank you so much. I know you're incredibly busy and uh, it's a real privilege and an honor for us to have you on our show. And thanks for being part of the Leadership Hacker community. Well, it was an honor speaking to you. Truly it was. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.